He spoke last week and, and was able to thank you guys, but we just want to thank you for welcoming, welcoming us into the family here at Christ the King and allowing us to serve alongside of you as you build the kingdom here in the Brazelton area and, and beyond. Buck has asked me to step in this morning and preach for him as he and his family are kind of away uh, uh, getting some much needed rest. And I just want to make uh, reference to some things in the bulletin that Kelly actually already mentioned. Uh, but if you have your bulletin with you, uh, a couple of things right before Heather comes and reads the passage for you. First, if you're visiting this morning, we have a mug with some goodies in it on the welcome table that is our gift to you if you'd grab one of those on your way out. We also have these two QR codes on the back of the bulletin, which are these funky looking squares. Um, if you don't know how to do that, you just get your phone out, your smartphone out, um, and hover over it, and it'll take you to this magical destination. We ask you a couple of questions, but really more than anything, gives our pastor a chance to send you a note, uh, and just thank you for being here, and we don't bug you beyond that. Uh, secondly, if uh, this is your church home or if you're visiting with us today uh, and you wish to give and help support the work and worship of the church and our service to the community of Brazelton and beyond, you can give the stuff that jingles and folds uh, in the basket back there. You can give the digital stuff through our website. We've got an easy portal for you to do that. There's instructions on how to do that in the bulletin. Uh, third, as Kelly mentioned uh, earlier, August the 7th, first weekend in August, right after the service, we're having a luncheon here, and we would love for you to begin to think of friends, neighbors, co-workers, uh, in, anyone else, family, to come join us for worship, and then a meal afterwards, no strings attached, just a great time for us to fellowship together. Um, and then lastly, our community groups, you mentioned this, we've been doing this for the summer, kind of a try it out kind of season for our community groups where you can kind of come in without any strings attached and enjoy fellowship with other people from the area. So if you live in the Buford or Flowery Branch areas, those two groups are meeting today and would be a great opportunity for you to meet other folks that attend this church and live in those areas. And uh, the times and the places are in the bulletin. Uh, and we've got our two, two representatives from that group will be at the door as you exit. So if you have questions or anything uh, that you want to talk to them about, they'd be happy to answer answer questions for you. Um, all right, if you've been keeping up with our series for the summer, we've been looking at the Psalms together. The name Psalms, as we've said in the past, means praises or songs. It's really meant and intended to be kind of the songbook for the Old Testament church to sing together as they're heading to the temple, as they're in the temple together. Uh, if you don't know where to find the Psalms in your Bible, you can basically, you know, old sword drill style, just open it up right to the center, and you're usually going to hit the book of Psalms. And then this morning, we're in Psalm 73. I'm going to warn you now, it's a little bit of a longer psalm than uh, Buck got last week with Psalm 13. Uh, and so I already apologize for Heather to make her have to come up here and read the whole thing. Uh, but if you'll hang around uh, with us, you can either turn there now, or it's also printed in your bulletin. But I want to pray for us, as, and then Heather will come and read the passage for us. Would you pray with me? Oh, great God, even as we've just sang, guide us, Father, by your word and your spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. And this is all through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Would you stand as Heather comes and reads? Good morning. Good morning. 
Our scripture reading is from Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How are how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Shifty, isn't it? <laughs> that extra shifty today. Good thing I won't be dancing around up here. Hopefully. Thank you, Heather. Let me start by asking this question. You've heard this psalm. Have you ever been upset with God? Have you ever felt like God wasn't there when you needed him to be? When you wanted him to be? Have you ever had a moment when you questioned God's wisdom or his, his, his best on a situation? His power to act in your best interest? We looked at Psalm 13 this past week and learned that God can certainly handle our doubts and our, uh, our disappointments and even our tough questions. And here's another example of that in Psalm 73. Now, I want to look at this long psalm in kind of two parts. You have first, you have the psalmist Asaph at the beginning, 
But then you have this Asaph who emerges from his time in the sanctuary of God in verse 17. And so we're going to look at both of, of these parts of the psalm. Uh, Asaph was uh, served under the reign of David uh, as kind of a worship leader of sorts. So he grew up and spent a lot of time in the Old Testament church. Um, and if you've ever read a whole lot of the Old Testament, then you know that God has this chosen people, Israel, and they're prone to this kind of roller coaster style relationship with God. The pattern is that God blesses his people for a while. They kind of live on top of the mountain, but then they kind of drift away and they fall into sin and, and get into caught up into all these kind of worldly things. And God has to kind of rescue them from that and bring them out of that into a place of blessing and then they kind of stay there for a while and then they kind of dive back down into this. And so even though we know that David was considered a good king, even in this psalm we kind of get a picture of his kingdom and realize that even amongst good leadership, we still have the same pattern from the people of God. Drifting back and forth. So let's look uh, at this first part, verses 1 through 16. It starts with this, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are impure in heart. So Asaph starts with a conclusion. And what that reveals to us is that the psalmist is kind of looking back on what most likely was a true season of doubt and struggle in his life. He's kind of recollecting this. And what comes next after verse 1 is this confession of someone who isn't just saying the right things. But he's become convinced through living this trial and ultimately gaining the perspective that he shares in verse 1. That God is good to Israel. I'll tell you a story. When I was growing up, my brother and I have an older brother. He's two years older than I. And when we were growing up, it felt like we pretty much could roam anywhere in the small town of Greenwood, Mississippi, uh, that's kind of fixed right along the Yazoo River. And we felt like we pretty much had the run of the town growing up. Uh, And I say most because my parents had only a very few, but a very few clear rules and boundaries that my brother and I knew from experience we were not to break or go beyond. Um, I'm going to share a couple of you. I was trying to remember them. Don't go near the river. Don't get in anyone's car or on anyone else's four-wheeler. Now you're kind of knowing what kind of town it was. Uh, Be where you say you're going to be. Stay together and be back before dark. Those were kind of the linchpin rules for us. And beyond that, if, if we could go wherever we wanted to go, as long as we followed those rules. But there were always a few boys in our pack that didn't follow those rules. that didn't have those rules. And they always made the ones like my brother and I feel a little bit less free. They would always, you know, like it's getting dark and we're about to start another round or another game or something's like, nah, we got to break away. If we don't get home now, our bikes, we're not going to make it before dark. And there's like, ah, you can't play or what, you know, so there's always this kind of like picking at us because we had these rules that we had to keep and they didn't. They often tried to make us uh, kind of feel less than, um, and, and what that created was, in me, was these moments where at some points along the journey, I would look and say, golly, man, I wish I had their kind of freedoms. I wish their parents or my parents were more like their parents, more carefree, less restrictive, less rules focused, give us a little bit more time. 
Um, and, and, and as we look at Psalm 73, we see a psalmist who's having one of these same moments with his father. God has given clear boundaries to all the people of Israel. And he's looking at everyone else and he struggles with envy and doubt and anger because he feels like he's the only one being faithful. He's the only one keeping the rules and everyone else is doing whatever they want. They eat what they want. They're prideful. They're violent on the inside and the out, but yet they seem happy. They seem blessed. And so from his perspective, he's thinking, well, then I must be cursed. Maybe I've chosen the wrong side. Maybe I'm wasting my time in the temple. God doesn't seem to, ca- ha- doesn't seem to care what happens outside of it. They go so far as to even mock God. That was just something you didn't do. Questioning his knowledge and his authority. Verse 15, the psalmist believes, if I had done something like that, I would have experienced serious consequences. He feels trapped because he feels like he's the only one being faithful to those who kind of set the example. He's got this huge mantle of the people of God to kind of hold up. All the generations from Abraham on to kind of live up to. But he's also got this up-and-coming generation that they need an example to look to. He's got to teach them these things. He's got to teach them their history. Someone's got to hold up the whole history of Israel. Now, when you start thinking about that, you think that's a lot for one man to hold up. That's a lot of weight and responsibility to try to carry his people on his shoulders. If you were able to pull this psalmist aside and ask him, what is God like? And that's very possible that he would just give you the textbook answer, right? He'd quote, high and lofty and great, maybe something more like what you see at the beginning, but it's, but it's just words, right? If you could pull him aside and you could get him a moment with nobody is watching, this is not going to be on YouTube, nothing like that. Give me your honest answer here in this moment as he's feeling all of this stuff. What is God like? His honest answer would be, it's time God feels distant. His laws are heavy. His enforcement of those laws seems inconsistent. He may sum up verses 4 through 16 by saying, God seems to bless the wicked and curse the faithful. Let me ask you, have you ever felt that way about God? But then we get to this verse 17. And there's this clear shift that takes place. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned Therein. Now, one thing that's important to point out here is it's not some magical building that Asaph is running to for help. Verses 2 through 16 is a confession about where Asaph's heart is towards God. And entering into the sanctuary of God, whether it's the actual place dedicated to worship or not, it's really about having his heart of stone and his coldness towards God, replaced and renewed by God. That's what's taking place in that moment in 17. Not, Not 
running to this building or this place. It could be that. That could be where it transpired. But it's more about taking his heart that is far from God and having it brought back to God by God himself. And this new heart comes standard with a brand new pair of eyes, spiritually speaking. Picking up in verse 17, then I, dis- then I discerned, I understood their end. Truly you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away by utter terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, you will rouse yourself and despise them as, as phantoms, as ghosts. Now going back to my story of growing up, um, so there's this time where I want this absolute freedom to do what I want, to go where I want, to get all the way, if I want to, to the river's edge and touch the water. And having parents that said no to me, that said no to that, felt oppressive. But as I think about it, that's because I lacked the perspective of someone who'd fallen in the river. Someone who had needed rescuing before. I wanted the freedom to stay gone as long as I wanted without someone coming to look for me. So knowing that my parents, a minute after sundown, would be in their car combing the streets, looking for my brother and I, felt excessive for parents to do that. It felt a little too kind of naggish and and holding us a little too close to the chest. But if I think about it, I lack the perspective of someone who'd been lost. Someone who didn't know how to get home and who was hoping beyond hope that someone would notice and come looking for me. See, the Bible tells the story of God's people and, and as he's telling the story of God's people, Israel, he's really telling us our story. It's really our story as well. And just like the people here, we have the same tendency to drift away from God. Look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast towards you. The, the truth that the Bible reveals about us is that we aren't these little saints sitting on the temple steps, kind of looking over the world and thinking, wow, that would be fun to kind of dive into those things and do those things from the perspective of the, the temple and being clean, but kind of looking down and saying, well, I'm tempted to do those kind of things. The story of the gospel isn't God's pursuit of the tempted The story of the gospel is God's pursuit of those who've been set against him. We're called enemies. We need God to open our eyes to the fact that we aren't standing on the river's edge being tempted. We've jumped into the river and we've drowned. And we need rescuing from death to life. And only Jesus can do that. The beauty of Jesus' work on the cross is that he enables us to see our sin. And that is, can be a shocking event for people. But we're not crushed 
underneath the weight of it. I, I do not endorse this movie, but Buck does this, so I feel like I can do this too. You know, tell you shows that you shouldn't watch, but have great illustrations in them. So if you've ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense, um, I'm going to ruin it for you if you haven't watched it. Uh, but there's this doctor in the whole movie. He's helping this patient. And he feels like this patient is in this great need. And he's this professional doctor. And you spend the whole movie of this doctor pursuing this patient and trying to help him figure things out and get where he needs to be. And there's this point in the movie where you realize that the doctor is dead and he's a ghost. And the whole time, it's the patient who's the only one who can see him, and he's actually helping the doctor. And you're just like, what? And you have this moment, moment of utter shock that you've, this whole movie, you've been walking under this with this perception of reality, and it's just the rug is pulled out underneath you, and you cannot believe, and you almost have to watch it again just so you can see what you didn't see before. And that's how the gospel can be for us sometimes, is we're utterly shocked that we're not sitting on the temple steps and looking and thinking how tempted we are, but that we're in the river and we've gone under and we've been under for a long time. And we've been, we've been, uh, we are drowned by our sin and our sorrow. And that could be utterly devastating. But you see, in this story, The gospel rescues us, but also he doesn't make us hold that weight. The beauty of Jesus' death on the cross is he has taken the penalty of death, the guilt for our countless times that we've fallen short. And he lays it, he puts it on himself, and he exchanges our filthy rags for his pure righteousness. We don't have to hold that weight. We're now seen as righteous in God's sight. We're able to enter God's presence without guilt, without fear of death. We're adopted into into his family, gifted with the Holy Spirit that gives us power to say no to sin and yes to God. We sing the song often, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that sets this prideful, envious, moral, Bible-policing, temple-dwelling psalmist free. And it's noticeable, right? I mean, from verse 1 through 16 to 17 through 28, you would think this is a different person of what you see coming in and going out. God changes us in his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but I often still think that I don't need the gospel. Um, even as a follower of Christ. Uh, but, but the reality is that God's saved, ch- saved children still drift uh, and must return to the cross. From the outside, if we were to look at this church, we might say, here's a bunch of people who are put together but people who've been here enough and kind of make their way through groups and, and people get below the surface, um, you realize uh, that we're a bunch of ragtag group of misfits leaning on one another and held together by God's grace alone. All in need. I loved the liturgy from the beginning of the service on that just reminded us of our great need for spiritual food, for spiritual encouragement, to be real with our sin. We all have hard days like the psalmist. 
And we have to spend time with God to have our hearts that have grown cold set set to fire again. I try to pretend that I don't need rescuing, but the truth is I still fall in the river more times than I can admit. I want to believe that I know what's best for me, but the reality is I still pursue things that are no good for me. I do it all the time. And the miracle of mercy is is not only that God allows us into his presence, but that he's never left us. Look at verse 23 with me. Despite my bitterness and brutish, beast-like behavior, read this, I am continually with you. Verse 24, you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and you will receive me to glory. That's God's promise, is that not only are we loud into his presence, he, he, he opens up our eyes to, yes, you're sinful beyond measure, but I, my grace is better than you could have ever imagined, and I've never left you. I'm right here. I'm holding your hand, and I'm ready to guide you to better places, give you good wisdom and counsel, and receive you to glory. I'm continually with you. So Buck often takes a moment at the end um, where he kind of asks us to consider if Christ were singing this psalm to us. And so I want to take a stab at that, uh, if y'all will be as patient with me as you are with Buck. Um, Because the truth is, he does sing this over you, right? He he is singing this over us. Um, So I won't sing today, but I will read this as though God is reading this over. So if you would close your eyes for a moment and just, just listen to Christ's truth as it washes over us. I am good. I know that there are times when it appears that I'm distance, distant or less involved, but it could not be further from the truth. I will push you close to my heart so that your heart won't be cold anymore. I will set it on fire with love and joy for me and your eyesight will be restored to see others as I once saw you. I promise that even as your heart continually struggles to believe and your flesh grows weak, I will make you stronger inside and give you everything that you need. And I will be there to receive you to eternity. You can open your eyes. That is God's truth for you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that even as we come to your table now, that we would have our eyes opened to see ourselves as we truly are, but that your gospel is even being bigger and greater than we could ever imagine. That your love for us is unending and it pursues us even in our unbelief, drawing us to better places than we would want to go ourselves. Father, do your work in us through the power of your Spirit because of the work of Christ on the cross. We pray it in his name. Amen.